Hey everybody, this is Kenneth coming to you from the future. <laughs> I'm recording this message uh, the day after we recorded and released the Cyberpunk 2077 finale, which is up for all $5 plus patrons over at patreon.com slash normandyfm. But I wanted to take this message and put it before a few of these episodes that are coming out uh, between now and then uh, to let y'all know we are looking to record uh, another Q&A episode, which we have not done in several years at this point. I think the last time we did one was at the end of the Dragon Age season, and a lot has happened since then. Um, and there are a lot more of you now. So uh, we figured it was, you know, decent enough time to uh, re-up that and try and do another one of those. So I'm putting this message here in front of this episode and a few others that are going to be coming out between now and the finale of Cyberpunk, just so uh, y'all know ahead of time, because we're looking to record that Q&A episode probably in December, uh, if not January. But with the message I'm putting here, y'all can know ahead of time and know where y'all can send questions for that just giant mailbag episode. We've had uh, some of those last for several hours before, and so those are always a lot of fun, and we always love to hear from y'all. So if y'all want to send in a question about, you know, about the show, about the video game industry from uh, our perspectives as reporters and critics uh, that have spent many years in this industry at this point, yeah, y'all can throw it out there, or just, just about anything, any, anything within reason. Yeah, feel free to send that to normandyfm at gmail, and we will dump them all into a giant mailbag and go through them all in one long episode. But uh, yeah, until then, the Cyberpunk season will continue to roll out uh, bi-weekly for the public feed. Uh, the entire season is available now to anyone that has subscribed to the Patreon with five or more dollars. Thank y'all again for all the support, and let's get back to our journey through Night City. This is Kerry Uridine, and you're listening to Normandy FM Cyberpunk 2077 Retrospective. Extra wonderful, extra special Cyberpunk 2077 edition of Normandy FM. We are closing in on the finale. We are so, so close. It is just within reaching distance. I am one of those co-hosts reaching right now. My name is Eric Van Allen. I'm joined by another Reacher, Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing? I'm good. It's just us this time. It's been a minute since it's been just us. Yeah. Like, this is kind of nice. We haven't done this in a while, you know. Not that we don't love having guests on and chatting with our guests and, and chatting with everybody, but it's nice every once in a while just to do two hosts. And wouldn't you know it, we had to we had to clear the docket because, of course, we're talking about the one, the only, Carrie Uridine today. Uh, Ken was not going to give up the, the podium. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was even thinking about it. Like, it we... When we had the Mass Effect and Dragon Age seasons, we didn't have a guest on for like the Caden episode or the Dorian episode. No, this this is my time to yell into the mm-hmm. microphone uninterrupted. No, mm-hmm. that, that, that's and you know it had nothing to do with the fact that nobody nobody said they wanted to talk about Carrie. You know nothing about that. <laughs> but also like I do think 
he comes up very late in the game. A lot of people didn't mm-hmm. get far anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. He is a little off the beaten path because as we talked about in our last episode with Tim Rogers, uh, it he is a branch of a side quest off of a branched off side quest. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's the the stars have to align to some degree for for you to get to carry and I'm, that's not me saying that i think it's hilariously like obtuse to get to this quest or anything but i have been thinking a lot about the structure of this game and the fact that you're just kind of like sitting here with this like nocturne uh end of game mission this whole time yeah. in act 3 it is Maybe we should address this here. It is kind of weird at this point, right? That Act 3 starts and literally just gives you the, hey, go here when you want to end the game button, Mm. right? Right. Like, most other games have, even in their last acts or so, they have kind of a natural lift up to that moment, like a natural Mm. build up narrative-wise. And here it just kind of feels like a lot of that was in Act 2, the end of Act 2. But it does kind of feel like we have now wrapped the uh, the the branching paths as they were, and now the game is saying, "Well, when you want to finish, go and hit this button, and you can end the game." Part of me, uh, like part of me, looks at it and I wonder if like some of that is so. If you are playing a version of V, who is not friends with Johnny, who does not like Johnny, uh, mm. like giving you this way to like very quickly leave, and like that is. Yeah, and we'll talk about this in the next episode, especially, I feel like, Act 3, this this game runs out of steam so fast, like, so, like mm-hmm. aggressively mm-hmm. so, I would say, to the point where the only, like, really meaningful side content is the Johnny and Carrie stuff, and so it does feel like they kind of put that, you know, that thing where you can just go to the ending there in case maybe, one, you want to, you know, roleplay a character that does not like Johnny, that does not care about all the things he's trying to tell you uh, in that motel room. Or maybe, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a weird thing because the, the stuff with Johnny and Carrie is so thematically important that it's bizarre to me to say that it is optional. Yeah, I, I was having this discussion recently with some other people who have been picking cyberpunk up because of the cyberpunk renaissance that we were in, mm-hmm. as it were. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people coming away from it like, oh, I didn't really like Johnny at all. I didn't like Keanu at all. And then... And being like, oh, I I didn't really do that side stuff. Or even right. in some cases, that side stuff didn't even hit for them. You know, it was too little too late in some cases. Yeah. And I, I can't really hold that against anybody because I do feel like a lot of this comes in very late in the game. But I will say that the carry stuff is maybe still, you know, broad strokes as we get into this. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the actual romance parts as well. But I think as... A design this does remind me of a grand theft auto game again <laughs> it does at multiple points remind me of things that the game uh, grand theft auto 5 would have asked me to do at several times but at least it did feel like i was learning a little bit more about the world learning a little bit more about uh carrie as a character which was nice and it was there there's some stuff we'll get to that i think are is really interesting in the midst of all this uh but we start off with Rebel Rebel, which really starts with Carrie calling V, hoping to talk to Johnny, which I think is a good tone setter for this whole thing. You know, like Carrie's still kind of in that Johnny mindset, as it were. How, how did you feel about this, Ken? 
I mean, it is an interesting tension, and I think like I maybe did not recognize it as much as I did, you know, playing this time when I first played, just because like I don't feel like I was as I, I don't think I was necessarily like mentally as embedded in this game as we have been for this season. In, in a lot of ways, I felt like I was kind of uh, try, just trying to reach like an end goal at that point, and Carrie was the the queer man in front of me, and so that was sort of me just checking off like a, checking off a list of being like okay i want to play through the romance in this game before i go to the end and when i was that level of i, th I think more detached when i was first playing this game uh i don't know that a lot of these more subtleties necessarily like i that i caught on to them as much but now like you know as and i think when i've talked about this at different points in the season it's like i feel like when you come in with a level of forethought as to the story that you're writing in this game i think it is a lot more rewarding and when more so than when you were kind of just like stumbling into what I think is actually some of the game's better narrative arcs for both your character and the characters that surround them. But that was like, that's such like a, a good thing for like, you know, and you answer the phone and he, he's asking for Johnny and like you kind of have to clarify like, no, Johnny's like a passenger here. I'm the driver and that's the way that we both want it. And he kind of uh, is like, okay, I, I, I get it. Um, what I was calling for, you'll work for too. That's fine. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, it's, it's a really good uh, subtle moment. I, think. I guess we haven't really talked about it too much since our last companion episode, but I was kind of reminded again as we went through this whole quest chain of, man, this game uh, really did make a pun at Square for yeah. <laughs> its love interests, uh, especially when it comes to Gary. <laughs> right, and he's like especially a victim of that. And I think this is something that we you know we'll get out first now. Like, I think. Carrie Yordine kind of sucks for mm. like half of his quest line. And it was something that I was, and I wrote about this over film.com, rest in peace, um, about how like the game's perception of sexuality and romance is so rigid. It almost feels like the, the game writes these stories for you, depending on your sexuality, if you're playing it as a self-insert character. Like gay men get a very specific Cyberpunk 2077 story. Straight mm. men get a very specific cyberpunk 2077 story. Mm. Unless you're a person that just, like, doesn't engage with the romance at all. You know, that's, and that's your prerogative. Um, but it, it was and something that I have kind of been talking about is that, like, I felt like I stumbled into what I think is one of the game's best arcs because I was, some, I, I was predispositioned in the way that the game is designed in terms of the relationships that allows you to enter in certain identities that, like, this is the only story I was ever going to get. Because the game is so rigid in these things, because I do, I do think like you know not now like now I'm like I'm 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 a total mark for Carrie Uridine, but I think you know back then if I had had other options were that did not start with this incredibly shitty misogynistic dude like trying to ruin these these young women's lives, um, mm -hmm. I think I would have like you know walked in another direction and found another another romance option, but this is the one they gave me. This is the only one that I have, and. That's just like an interesting thing to me that I think I, I, I feel like Cyberpunk ends up pigeonholing a lot of people into certain stories just because like that's all the game is ever designed to accommodate. And mm -hmm. it does become a especially more troubling thing with Carrie because it plays into like erasure of his identity in mm -hmm. the world of Cyberpunk mm -hmm. that has been mm -hmm. long established in like, all the tables. Because like Carrie is like the only person like, the, of the four romance options who originates from the cyberpunk tabletop stuff and even when we met him in the johnny quest like he's got a, a photo of his ex-wife who he had children with like 
this is a bisexual man, but mm-hmm. he's only romanceable by male V. And, you know, we'll get into the specifics of that later. But it is just this weird thing where, like, for, you know, for all the fluidity that it kind of asserts that should be in this world, it gets so rigid in its understanding and the mechanics of these things that it does mean that if you are, unless you're, like, bisexual or pansexual and you're playing an insert char- self-insert character, you have yeah. one story in Cyberpunk. I, I, you mentioned for all the fluidity and, and, and like, uh, you know, ability to, to be the person you want to be in, in Night City and all that. And I'm suddenly now thinking back about have we ever seen, like, like a non... Because we do have examples of uh, heterosexual couplings in this game. We have the Paralysis. We have Johnny and Alt. Uh, we have some of that. We do see Carrie making out with somebody on the stairs uh in that flashback scene but i don't even think we get a lot of good examples of romance and even then i think it's interesting to look at how romance communicates power and romance communicates relationships like like actual like interpersonal relationships in this game and that that would be a separate discussion like i think the paralysis again dream on probably one of the best quests in this game (laughs) but uh it's I, the more I've thought about it, the more I've just been kind of, I've been coming to cyberpunk and, you know, we, we've talked a lot about our role-playing approaches in the series. Right. And I, it was something that I definitely wanted to bring up and, and, and kind of bring back as a running topic going into these last side quests and the finale, because we, we've talked before about, you know, how you and I have different approaches in some cases to yeah. role-playing. Um, I like to kind of create a character and this is, this is something that I didn't even do for all my life. This is something that's largely newer for me. And that I would say has definitely been um, emphasized the more I've played for Normandy FM specifically, but the idea of creating a character and kind of putting it out into the world and then seeing how I want to play that character and how I feel rewarded by playing that character and how the game world responds to me role-playing that character and and you know does it give me does it want to reward me for playing a character role basically and Mm. i think in some cases cyberpunk does do that i i kind of dig that even up to this point i'm still getting really interesting corpo choices there's even one in this episode but in the specific case of romance it just does feel like there was a box ticked and i Mm. look at things again i still am not done singing its praises dragon age inquisition had a really good approach to how to make a bunch of different characters romanceable and have those all feel like meaningful role-playing choices alongside having a diverse set of options for the player to romance and honestly pretty good romances like in general like just good romance plot lines for a lot of these characters and i I know that that is a team that has been working on that stuff for a long time. That's a studio that's predispositioned to do that stuff well. But, you know, if we ever do a Witcher Wild Hunt season, you know, Ken just somehow is rendered unable to speak for an entire year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's it would be interesting to go back and look at CD Projekt Red's previous work in writing romance and making romance feel like an interesting role playing choice because I do feel like that game, when I first played it, really rewarded the idea of playing Geralt in in a role and, and, and with intention and wanting to 
you know, really romance a character and not romance another. And, and, you know, I do think it's interesting, not just giving people good romance options, which is important, but also making their role-playing decisions feel rewarded. And I, I don't know. I think in some cases this is almost, I feel like you were kind of getting to this point of, of you ended up in this place because it was like the option you had. Right. Mm -hmm. And there is that question of like, what if there was another path? What if there was another option? So the option does become rewarding, but you are also kind of funneled into it because you don't have alternatives, you know? So it is, like, like for for my character for female V is Judy a good romance? Yes, is Judy the only romance option that was available for me if I wanted to be a female V romancing a female character? Also, yes. Right. <laughs> so I don't have an alternative to base it off of, unless I play another game of Cyberpunk as a different character. So it's it's very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, Rebel Rebel. So we we have our conversation with Carrie. Uh, he's he's got a problem. He needs to take care of some stuff. We got to meet up with him, and he shows up once we get there. And just a rickety, terrible little rundown car. <laughs> just the worst car I have ever seen in Night City. This thing is barely holding together. And once we're inside, Carrie starts telling us that he need he knew he needed somebody good for this job you know those are some balls on that one and i need someone with a pair for this job which honestly you know my female view was like okay (laughs) (laughs) um we can we can ask some questions about the car which is kind of fun because johnny obviously pops up in the back seat is like this can't end well every time carrie was behind the wheel we ended up in a ditch <laughs> make sure his hands stay at 10 and 2 which was honestly one of the better johnny lines i've heard like keep those hands at 10 and 2 was very mm-hmm. funny um and we finally get to interrogating carrie about what is actually going on you know where are we going what are we trying to do there is a japanese girl group that we have heard of many times at this point named us cracks um who have been big overseas you know carrie kind of plays it off he's like anybody can do that (laughs) and uh but they're apparently making their nus debut which hey we get to talk about the nus that's kind of cool uh and they're doing it using one of carrie's songs user friendly a cover of one of carrie's songs he is pissed he is not happy and Ken, I'm glad you note it here because they do play a version this like this cover, and oh my god, this it's bad. It's just so, bad. I I had some before we like you know, go on. We haven't really talked a whole lot about the in universe music of Cyberpunk no. 2077. Well, and... well, are we talking about the music that is like supposed to be like? The stuff that is played by Carrie and Samurai right. and all that. Yeah, are yeah. we talking about the music that is just kind of like on the radio stations that borderline feels like we got a bunch of people to write songs about cyberpunk and night city and put them all on the radio station. Cause there's also that tier of music, that oh, yeah. like stratum I mean, of music. Like, and we talked about this in the edge runners episode, like that, those songs that show you in a better way than mm-hmm. this game mm-hmm. ever does. I'm talking more about, um, you know, the, the stuff that is samurai stuff that's carried stuff that's us cracks. I, so, okay. 
and you know this is uh, this is like as you bring it up this is kind of colored now by uh having watched edge runners and hearing a lot of those songs where i think even even those aren't necessarily presented as quote unquote in universe they're just like the soundtrack to that show mm-hmm. um because like so a lot of the musical framing of this game is through samurai which is you know it's alternate history timeline aside like it is you know very much like 80s metal and rock and so, you know that's all fine and well but it also is and in, in frankness a lot of it feels very generic for even that um i think front of the show blake Hester even wrote about this at, at game informer about how the samurai stuff oh what was the band that performed samurai stuff no i'm, I'm blanking on it why did i not look this up beforehand why did i not uh who is the band that plays samurai refused yeah uh blake wrote, wrote about how like even in the context text of refused larger discography, a lot of the music in cyberpunk is just kind of g- very generic. It's not very mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting in term like musically, lyrically, whatever. Where I think I think like the one thing the one the one like piece of in in game in universe music that I actually do really like is Carrie's cover of Shipping In. But that aside, like that is like a lot of the crux of what Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven positions as like real music, real art, like art with a capital A as Carrie calls it. And that the Uscrax music was, like, it, it felt, like, written to be obnoxious and, like, written to be, like, very repetitive and annoying. And, and like, as a person that, like, loves a lot of pop music, I would have liked for that song to have actually been been actually good, but, like, Carrie's, like, genre blindness versus and also, like, what, everything's going on. All his emotions are tied up into this. I would just like for that song to have been, like, actually pretty fucking good and he just be, like, blind to it and that just be this sort of a... You know, this this thing about his character that you can tell, like, because, I mean, there's going to be points where he's like, Rock is dead, and you killed it, and, like, you know, very much, like, he has a very set mindset about what music is good, and, mm-hmm. um, like, I would have liked for that to have been a thing, but, like, the, the song is irredeemable. It is just, it, it, it feels written to be as obnoxious as Carrie thinks it is, and so that was a little bit disappointing, because I, I do think, despite the weird implementation of a lot of the music in this game. I think a lot of music in this game is very good, but it does not feel... Like, music is, like, conceptually important to Cyberpunk 2077, but not usually in practice. Like, the, the Johnny and Carrie stuff is the most in the game and really ever talks about the music in this world, even though Johnny Silverhand is... I mean, okay, he's known as a terrorist, but he also was the frontman of a band mm-hmm, that is, mm-hmm. you know, not... I mean, to this day, and you know, we even talked to Carrie about this later, like, Samurai's kind of this... uh this relic of an old time that a lot of, not a lot of people know as much these days, but like it's still foundational to the story of this game. And I'm just like, for for all that, like a lot of it just feels very abstract in terms of how it talks about music. And so this was just like an example of kind of like it just feeling like it doesn't go like that extra step to like really make the music feel integrated into the world. So I'm gonna take us on a roundabout here. But I promise it's gonna come back around to something that emphasizes your point right there. Uh. Here's the thing about the Us Crack song. I agree. It is bad. I'm also going to say this. Ken, you and I both use the platform TikTok. Mm-hmm. You and I both know the power of a bad song on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know I don't know if you've done this recently, but uh, but I have. Uh you go driving and you turn on your local pop station. Just whatever the whatever is playing, you know, the top 100 in your area. And it is all songs from TikTok. Even the mm-hmm. the station I listen to, which is largely like alt rock type stuff, 
um, definitely a level of like trapped in the nineties, but also they play imagine dragons sometimes and stuff like that. So like try, you know, in the weird place of, you know, alt rock is in a weird place in general right now. That's neither here nor there, but, uh, you will just hear some songs that it's like, Oh, this is the one from TikTok where there's like mm-hmm. 10 to 30 seconds of a hook here. And if you heard that stretched out over three and a half minutes of a song, then it would make you just want to <laughs> steer that mm-hmm. car off the nearest cliff. But um, it is, it, it works in that thing. And so the reason why I bring this up, and this is not to me suddenly be like, oh, actually, the song is good. It's just too long or some other like weird take like that. Don't know. The song is the song and the song is not good. It is the manner in which the music is presented that makes those TikTok songs like good, right? That makes them function the way they do. It is their presentation and place in the medium that they're being communicated because the t- the TikTok is also not just about the song. It is about the accompanying video, it is about the context in which it is placed that makes some of these licks good. We never get music contextualized in Night City. I, I feel like we have had one side quest where we get some idea, like the Ballad of Buck Ravers, which is another quest that I actually really ended up liking. Uh, we, we get one guy playing a guitar. Honestly, like one of the few times we see anybody playing an instrument in this game. And that you know, spins off the whole quest about Johnny being weird about the legacy of samurai and all that. But otherwise you would not know that so many people listen to music or even listen to Carrie's music or us cracks music, unless you were really trying to like read what those billboards said at the top of night city and all that. Mm. And it's the same way I felt about the brain dances where it was like this thing that is supposedly super popular and, everybody watches brain dances and we don't have Hollywood movie studios anymore. We have Hollywood brain dance studios and stuff. We see the like, Oh, this is popular. We're making this, we're doing this, but we don't see the the end result. We don't see the consumption of it. We don't see the context, like like, like the actual context and place where that consumption takes place. And so I don't think that gives us a lot of tools to contextualize how something like us cracks becomes popular in night city at this point they're apparently one of the biggest pop bands in the world and we've never heard of them outside of a few side references in other quest lines like somebody else brought up the us cracks banner Uh, i think that was the river episode where they mentioned that there is a us cracks banner that plays at like certain intervals or whatever right that is we we get some things like that and that's nice but we don't get a lot of context for what what they are and granted does v have greater things going on in the world yes absolutely but i think it just really emphasizes one of you know a thing that we have been talking a lot about both you and i on here and in other places as we have talked about cyberpunk broadly is that cyberpunk doesn't feel like it has a place of world it doesn't have like a like a sense of place in it and people are just kind of milling about so that the city can feel like it has people in it, but it doesn't feel lived in and it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like I know what trends are in this world, what people do in this world. And it, those cracks show when you have missions like this, where Carrie's like, Oh, it's, it's the us cracks. They're the most popular band in the world. They're playing my song, my hit song. 
and you're like, I have never heard of any of these things. <laughs> um, it's like we're being told about the Beatles for the first time or something. It's bizarre. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, that's neither here nor there because what we're going to do is we're going to jack the equipment for us cracks and blow it up. <laughs> As Carrie informs us, Carrie has gotten the information on where their equipment van is in the city, and he is going to send a message, quote-unquote, last century style, uh, very Johnny Silverhand. Mm. Uh, he's going to destroy the equipment to force uh, us cracks to cancel their upcoming show, which, as we will get into, is maybe a short-sighted and not fully thought-out approach and definitely mm. betrays Carrie as... As Johnny says, short fuse, maybe not a lot of dynamite behind it. <laughs> mm. Not putting the full force of thought behind what to do with that stuff. Uh, Carrie is definitely short fused uh, in the missions that we we work with him in. Um, we pull up at a stop. Carrie's got some uh, some spike tracks to lay out on the road and some grenades. We help him lay them out. We get into our hiding spot, put a little hand on his shoulder, a little, little first-person cinematic moment just for Ken. And I uh, faint. And I pass <laughs> away. And, uh, you know, we ask him, you know, are they going to be armed? Like, what kind of escort are we expecting? Like, what's going on here? He's like, just roll with it. Just roll with it, V. Let's go. And, uh, all right. All right. Uh, the truck shows up, we pop the tires, uh, we pull out our guns and get everybody out, um, on the ground. We, we, we say, be cool. We say, be, be chill. Uh, we check the back of the van and we find all the us cracks gear in there, which we, we can say like, Hey, we could sell these off and get some cash, but now Carrie wants to send a message. So we tell the, the van passengers to go run off into the night tell everybody about what happened here and then we get a fun little thing of tossing a grenade into the back of the van which is actually pretty fun <laughs> and uh we blow them all up and we're like okay how do we uh how do we feel about this how, do, how are we feeling you know how's it how's it going and before we can really get into uh whether this is working for carrie or not we uh gotta get into the ncpd chase in the world's shittiest car (laughs) (laughs) he went the opposite direction like he went the wrong way i was like like i'm sorry is there a right way to run from the cops (laughs) probably like away from them i don't know the car was facing the wrong direction for that it was facing like the complete 180 opposite direction either way i got away and that's what matters but i guess i don't know i don't know anyways we lose our tail. We head to a coffee shop that uh, Carrie wants to hang out at. That apparently, as he tells us as we go in, serves organic coffee, but only if uh, if you know him, which is kind of a nice little storytelling bit of like, hey, you know, people don't even really drink organic coffee all that often anymore. Drinking mm. some sludge or something back there. I don't know. Sounds bad. Um, I'm, what, what did you order for the drink here, Ken? Uh, as a I, non-coffee I said drinker. I said nothing for me, but then Carrie insisted. He was like, no, he'll have what I'm having. you got to try this. you got to try the best coffee in Night City. 
okay. I got like you made me drive and you made me drink coffee in one on our, on our first date. I, I mean, mm. I mean, he did the the coffee he orders is like uh, it was like double espresso blend. Sounded pretty nice. Sounded pretty good. Mm. It wouldn't be terrible. You got you got to try new things, Ken. That's I that's suppose. the important thing about about these dates is you got you know mm-hmm. be, be mm-hmm. open to new experiences. With sure. Carrie Uridine. <laughs> that's that's the name of his VH1 reality dating show. New experiences of Carrie Uridine. <laughs> um, so we we get into talking with him while we're there. Um, you know, and obviously he's still ruminating. He's still thinking about all the us cracks stuff, and we're just like, dang, they they really got to you, huh? And he sends us the music video of the song, which is how we actually hear the song in context for the first time. And yeah, it is. Oh, oh, it's it's something. And and you can get why they, they definitely play up that like, oh, real rock and roll was my day when we had guitars and stuff like that. This is all like synth pop. Uh, just oh, it's completely different. Oh, um. We we can kind of ask him, you know, like, hey, you know, what's you know, what's going on here? We'll push a little bit more because um he insists that us cracks is the product of these these suits, you know, these these masses. It's not art, you know, it's about the money. And I think this gets into the crux of what Carrie's main conflict is, and you can speak to this a little bit more, Ken, but it's this idea of like, you know, Carrie did sell out. And, and Carrie even admits that he did sell out. Right. He absolutely, like, left Samurai because he wanted to make money. He wanted to be famous, like, capital F, famous. And he did it. He got there. And I think especially having Johnny back and, and having Johnny come back and doing the Samurai gig and all that has maybe resurfaced a lot of internal conflict. He probably feels still about that because... On the one hand, he got what he wanted, but on the other hand, you can tell that he really still pines in, in a lot of ways for those early samurai days and, and the the feeling of making music with people who are passionate about the music and not just about packaging a media package yeah. that could be sold to the masses. Yeah, and like he even I mean, this kind of goes back to stuff stuff that was happening in uh the the last episode we did where there was also the moment with Rogue where she's like you know, trying to reconnect with him in some way. And it's like, no, so much has changed now. Like, you don't understand how much has changed. I'm not the same person. We are not the same people. I have to go. And I think, you know, where Rogue, like, walked in the opposite direction of things, Carrie is, like, still wrestling with that. And it's like, and basically has V as his conduit to kind of, like, have this sort of relationship with his past, you know, with somebody that he did at one point, like, really connect with. And I think what one of the, the things that I actually really like about a lot of these conversations that you have with Carrie is like, there's an option, like usually like you get two options with the dialogue choices. And one is kind of like feeding into his kind of talking about like, Oh, Johnny was right about me about what I wanted and what I, whatever. But then there's also the option to kind of decenter Johnny and like always mm. like move it away from, well, Johnny thought this, Johnny thinks this, this is what Johnny's saying in my head right. And be like, Johnny's dead. You're not like, what, how like let's talk about how you're feeling right now as opposed to you worrying about what this engram in my head is thinking about you and that was the the direction i went with this one where i was just like you know you're worrying about somebody who's long gone and like don't make no mistake just because like you had a chance to talk to him again the man's still dead like you like this is your life now 
And I think, you know, I mean, I, whether, it's, whether it's whether it's through death, whether it's through growing apart, like I think there are people in our lives that we, you know, we had a certain relationship with, and as we are moving away from it, as we come back to it or like revisit it or like reflect on it, we think about where we've come since. We're like, what would this person think about the person that I've become? And right now, that that feels like what Carrie's dealing with is like, okay, I made this comfortable life for myself, and now like the one person whose opinion I get, I give a shit about in the midst of all of that is suddenly in front of me again. And now I have to like, I have to explain myself. I have to sort of justify why I became who I did, and that's just like a really interesting sort of uh, exploration of V and Johnny's sort of coexistence in that. It doesn't feel like a lot of characters are like you know a lot of people know be very separate from johnny and that's all that all of carrie's relationship at this point with v is like trying to be like to work through his own sort of like internalized self-hatred for the things that he's done while also recognizing that somebody that would have like you know called him out on that shit as it was happening is back to some degree and then there's this other third person in the middle that is you know and, and like that's what i'm saying like you can you know, kind of be this telephone for these two to kind of talk to each other. Or you can just, you know, entirely sever yourself from that and just talk to him on that level. And that was why it was so, like, and we talked about this again last, mm-hmm. I, keep, I keep referencing things, because I feel like the Johnny quest and the Carrie quest are, like, very intertwined. Like, we talked about in the last episode, like, how I did not show up in Johnny's jacket and dog tags and tank top I came. You know, you can see in screenshots, like, I'm wearing something my V would have worn and mm-hmm. on, any other, on any other Sunday. And so, so like making those hard divides is one way of going about this, these quests, which is very paramount to how I handle them. Is like, no, you, like you're worrying about a dead man's feelings about what you're doing now instead of thinking about how it makes you feel and like why you did the things that you did. And because that that's just like so crucial to what's happening right now is that he he feels one sense of shame about what he's done because he knows that somebody that he thought he'd mostly escaped from. 50 years ago uh, is back and judging him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's his life decisions, and especially at a point he's at now where, you know, he has kind of lived a life without Johnny. And now it's almost like it has to be put back under a microscope and he gets to hear now whether Johnny is like, whether he approves of what Carrie has done mm-hmm. in all that time between then and now. Um, would be daunting to anybody especially somebody who honestly i think in some ways carrie does idolize what johnny embodied even if it wasn't you know the reality of who johnny was and even carrie has understanding of that to some degree there is a part of him that absolutely sees the way that johnny um was so devoted to his art that you know it, it claimed him in the end it's it's that kind of idea of like you know, are you going to be a living legend or are you going to just kind of like fade away into obscurity? And there absolutely is. I think as we go into this next mission, uh, a level of Carrie being worried about like, like he is just being carted off into the sunset at this point. Right. Um, so as we head into the next mission, um, Carrie calls us up, says that us cracks just postpone the show blowing up the truck didn't even get the the point across so we're gonna have to to go go louder go larger and we you know we can make a joke of comparing him to johnny of course and he's mm-hmm. like no nah, we're just gonna talk but bring a gun <laughs> mm-hmm. Click. 
<laughs> okay. Um, we meet we meet Carrie outside Riot, which is the place where this uh the show is gonna go down, and he's he's dressed in his you know paparazzi outfit, you know, mm-hmm. concealed and all that, you know, baseball cap, uh, sunglasses, all that. Um, and he's absolutely like, we're gonna go inside, we're gonna get, talk to them face to face and tell them that this is not, there will be no show there you know and and we can kind of even point out that hey that van stunt actually ended up working in their favor like it's been all over the pages and all that um so we have some options for getting inside because we are going to try to help carrie if if only because this might be an opportunity to help carrie help himself (laughs) right because that's that's sort of the 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 branching path of this quest line is like are you going to uncritically let this man be an asshole or are you going to be like the, the slightest bit curious as to like what's going on in his head and like what's also just happening in the situation to be like hey let's talk about this instead because like one of the first things i did here is like how about instead of us going in there and bothering these girls we just enjoy the show how about we do that and then he's just like what i could never even have conceived of this and but you, you do like you know he's standing on like all these you know principles that he has but you there's one point where you can be like you know, probably the easiest way to get in would be just buy a ticket. And he's like, no, hell no, they're not going to get any money from me. But also, it's already sold out. And I was like, oh, so you checked. Oh, so, like, you know, you were, it's, you know, it's a principle when it's convenient. But you did check. Like, you did, uh-huh. like, oh, maybe this would just be the easier way to do it. And I also think it plays into, like, Carrie is not a merc who has to get into places and do shit, like, on the, uh, and, you know, in the way that V might. And so, uh-huh. you know, he, he doesn't think of, like, all these other uh, way to go about things like i guess i could just buy a ticket and go in yeah it's i i do there's something that that we should probably bring up at this point um as well as that carrie has some says some things about women specifically in this whole us cracks thing he uses certain term that i'm not even comfortable mentioning here uh Every to, to refer term. to them yeah every single yeah. one everyone you can think of it's yeah seven. specifically about us cracks and there's absolutely like at some point like the the derogatory remarks he is using towards them also become increasingly or, or even start out pretty gendered to begin yep. with which is again weird direction for this character all things mm-hmm. considered and and largely so i mentioned earlier that this feels like a grand theft auto 5 side quest and the very idea of we are helping an aging rock star get back at this pop star group who is covering his song and we're going to like bust in in backstage and confront them and stuff there is there has to be a mission in like grand theft auto or saints row that you carry as a grand theft auto character yeah yeah and it's it's kind of weird because I, it's not that I don't think it fits like this. This is like fitting to Carrie's growth as a character that we see play out in cyberpunk 2077. Like I don't necessarily think this is out of place. It is just almost kind of mind boggling in a way that it just feels so distinctly that way. And then it lines up with a lot of the issues that I personally have with games like grand theft auto five, which just don't know how to deal with a character without making them a complete piece of shit. And mm. you know, that'll, we're never doing a grand theft auto five season on here. I, I would rather uh, do literally any other game, play sleeping dogs, a better <laughs> open world crime game than grand theft auto five. You heard it here. Um, 
but we go inside uh you know we can we can kind of deus ex our way through this level you know we can either uh try to get tickets in which you know obviously carrie would not be happy about uh and they also cost a bunch of money so like why would we do that we could hack somebody to steal their tickets which i don't know that seems mean i don't mm. i don't like that um uh, don't need to involve other people or we can just punch a ladder <laughs> and <laughs> climb that ladder in uh which also gets us a free pass past the stat check later on even though I did take that stat check because you get some cool dialogue out of it where V is like, Oh yeah, I used to, uh, I used to do some stage work for another band back in the day. Never thought it would come in handy for my mark work, but here we are. I was like, damn, you know, I normally I'd be very critical and be like, Oh, so now V suddenly has like experience doing this or whatever, but that's like a very, tabletop role-playing game thing is like the dm asks you to pass this uh, pass a stat check and you pass it and then you kind of collaboratively fill in why your character would be able to do that and end up like building a little bit of your character in the process and i was like you know what i kind of dig that that was kind of nice more stat checks i like stat checks um or, or rolls of the die i guess i should say um but we get inside and we finally see us cracks who are in what I can only describe as J pop meets the Teletubbies outfits. Um, they are each like individual colors. Uh, we got red, blue, purple. Uh, I, I don't think they ever even like name these characters for us. So I only remember them as I mean, red, blue, and purple. <laughs> well, cause I, I think we're, we only ever know them by their stage names and they are like, they do make reference to the, uh, the colors that they wear. Let me pull it up. Uh, yes, purple force, red menace, and blue moon. Okay. So I wasn't that far off. <laughs> I mean, you, um, you did point out the colors they were wearing. Yes, I, I understood that part of the assignment. Um, but they're they're all hanging out and chatting, and at first they're like, you know, who the hell are you two? And then Carrie pulls off his get up, and they're all like, oh my god carrie son oh my god and they're like excited they're thrilled and carrie's got a freaking pistol pulled on them and they're still just like very excited to see him and all that um so obviously there is a misunderstanding at play and you can either like stand around and watch this or you can do what i did and just take a seat and let it all kind of play out uh and <laughs> as as we begin to find out uh the cover of the song the us cracks were under the impression that carrie had signed off on the cover and that is because uh their managers at msm does that actually stand for like mainstream media or something mm-hmm. kind of curious MSM Cybercom. oh hmm. does not look like they have like a wiki page for it mm. Uh, there. Anyways, the managers at their record label were like, "Hey, yeah, no, they, they there was a deal signed, and that was all good." And Carrie's like, "I'd never agree to that deal." And uh, th- the best part about this is that the very beginning, they assume that they have slighted Carrie in some way, but they assume it's for something else that they had given an interview where they referred to Carrie as old, and he's very much like, "What? No, wait, w- w- you did what?" <laughs> Which I I kind of dug. Uh. But Carrie, they bring up that the manager, Carrie's manager, uh, Kovacek, was the one who kind of 
signed off on all of it. And Carrie has you know, the realization that this has all been orchestrated by people above the, above them. And us cracks are very much like, Oh, we are just trying to like express like our love for your song and bring it to a new, bring your music to a new generation. And, um, and, and and be like you know we we are just trying to carry forward the love of music here we are not trying to like right. cover you up or bury you or anything like that right. and and this is when johnny pops in and is like uh carrie's blind if he doesn't see these girls are so talented which like i know we've talked we, we've talked smack about their music at this point <laughs> but i think the larger point is maybe that like they are clearly able to bring in money. We have seen that they're selling out concerts and everybody loves them and all that. So like on some level, they are something that people want to listen to. And so I am kind of with Johnny in that moment of like, Hey, come on. Like, so we can yeah. either tell. Well, I was going to say like, and also like, I think, you know, our feelings on the song aside, like the plot dictates, they are also, caring about music like they care about what they're doing they're like they are not simply products that are being sold by a label like mm-hmm. and that, that's like what they're trying to communicate to them is like we we covered your song because we love it not because we are trying to make it this very palatable thing for the public consumption right right you know even if carrie doesn't like the style that it's in there is still like a passion for the music and the art behind mm-hmm. it uh, and so we have we have two options here. We can either like threaten the girls to be like, just stop the show, just cancel the show, or we can like turn to Carrie and be, hey, everyone's getting screwed over here. Uh, can't imagine why you would pick the first option. Feels very odd. Feels very tonally yeah. dissonant. I respect the role playing option for it, right. but like, we are we are trying to achieve growth here. <laughs> we are trying to achieve mm-hmm. forward momentum. Uh, yeah, I mean and- that's like. And, and we'll, we'll get to it in a second. Like it just feels like the weirdly inferior version of the quest too. Like there's, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. there's an area that we're gonna go to later where like this big party's happening, and you go there in that in that version of the quest, and completely empty. Just like Carrie wanted like to be alone in that giant space, and it's like it's one of those things where like you go to the place and like yeah, this is a a choice that I've been given. This is a direction I can take. But like it, this entire setup setup feels like it was meant for something else. Right, like, right. And I like the way it, it caps off too, as you know, you choose that second option and uh, the us cracks uh, team decides to shut down their show in protest, mm-hmm. um, basically like suspend the tour while they, while they, they deal with the issues. And uh, you get to take a little photo mode picture of them, not with them. Come on V don't, don't clout chase. We'll right. let them have their moment. <laughs> and uh and and you leave as carrie kind of hangs out with them and talks music and stuff and it's it's really nice and it also leads really well into this next mission where carrie calls us up again and we go take the the back elevator into a club called dark matter and you know we're we're, we're under the impression that we are meeting carrie but then we find out that oh they're debuting a collaboration between carrie and us cracks uh and it's it's kind of fun it's mm-hmm. it's a big you know party where they're revealing that there's like an animated little music video that's going on and uh you know it's these this this pop and and rock crossover that's that's really cool and they're doing this big debut and you can do like an interview quote with one of the journalists nearby and 
I like this so much more because otherwise it's just Carrie being sad and, yeah. <laughs> and emotional and stuff and definitely makes what is going to come make a little bit more sense. But uh, also it's like, I don't know, let, let, let Carrie grow, let Carrie evolve yeah. a little bit. And I also like it as this, and this, this is me just like, you know, writing this, this romance story in my head. Like I like, you know, being be like, you know, I'm the, I'm the street kid guy that has like, lived in the slums of night city and been doing crimes and shit all his life and then like coming into like this huge like fucking fancy listening party from a rock star and like and then then the rock star like pulls me out of the crowd like puts his arm around me in front of all these mm-hmm. people and i'm mm-hmm. like oh man this is what cinderella felt like holy shit and <laughs> like i just i like that, there, that there's like this uh very strong sense of like almost like otherworldly sense when you go into some of carrie's stuff compared to like the judy the pan am the the river stuff which is all very like on the ground floor of night city and like you come to this place where the you're in like this whole new world of night city that you've never really been able to see before but you've always dreamt of you dreamt of being this legend that everybody knows and that uh is gonna you know draw crowds into things that you're doing and just like a really really cool moment i think in that way and sort of like thinking back to where i started in this game and to where i'm at now yeah uh, we also get to say something to us cracks. Uh, we can be like, you know, hey, what's up? You know, good song and all that. Um, they're just having fun. They're having a good time. We we get to talk to a reporter. We can be a little salacious. We can be a little mm-hmm. uh, drop some juicy detail hints and all that. Uh, we also get introduced to a merchant who you can try to buy stuff from. But Carrie's like, nah, time for that later. We're going to move on. And that was what was the point of that ken uh, why I mean, you can like when you come back down he's here and you can buy stuff from him when i think oh, it's okay. cheaper and cheaper here than in other places oh, okay because like you've got right. the fan the uh friends family discount yeah okay i might have to go back to there because there's a bunch of stuff i'm buying as i like start to gear up towards my best quick hacks and all that and mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, the, 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 something else something i also remembered then this is Kind of annoying just because like the, the timing of it, but um, when you come back down after you try to carry from from up top, you come back down to this this uh this floor, you can go to the merchant. But there's also like two new sex workers come up, like two new George toys. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, if you had talked to me 15 minutes earlier, we might have been able to talk. But <laughs> I, I just entered a committed relationship. <laughs> too too little, too late, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, the the road's not traveled. Um, anyways, we, we go up the elevator, and Carrie takes us up to a spot that he says is one of his favorite in Night City. Uh, we're getting the companion one-on-one well, moment. Really, really get, one of two, but what's up? Before we get to that, there's a conversation you have in the elevator where, mm-hmm. you know, you congratulate him on the show, and then you ask what's next, and you say, like, I hit on Kovacek, and he, he laughs that off, but, like, he does say that there's something that he's got in mind for uh his manager but then you also talk to him there's this you talk to him about like if somebody's gonna get out of his contract at the label like like what degree level of pissed is he and he talks about how well you know that would be nice that the that sounds very principled and nice to do but also mm-hmm. like you know mm-hmm. the the labels they've got everything in, in the palm of their hand they they handle the media they handle the fans they handle the influencers they handle promotion and all that sort of stuff and you know we can talk about how we say, like, but you'd be free. And then he's like, free to sing and tell Moon in the face with no one act around to hear it. Um, and that was just like, it, it's one of the points where I, I think Carrie's story ends up falling into a lot of 2077 cynicism and in that like, 
you know, he you can have this very principled stance, but it is easier just to exist with it, like, between the fingers of a corporation. And, mm. um, you know, who could say why I, that could resonate with me in some way right now? Because, like, <laughs> you know, there's there are a lot of, like, you know, whether it's art, whether it's being a journalist, whether it's being a critic, whether it's whatever, it's like, you know, the the notion of, like, being independent and free from the whims of corporations sounds very nice on paper, but, like, you are often by removing yourself from that you are just kind of being pulled out of like you know, i mean that's kind of you know cyberpunk thing is like it's it's very much about capitalism it's about how that has a chokehold on every single facet of our lives and but that that was just kind of sad to me for to hear him just be like it would be i, I would not be dealing with all this bullshit if i were to go independent in some way but no one would hear me like you know there are all these sort of protections that you have while doing something within the bounds of a corporation and, and the bounds of capitalism that makes it you know it's, it can be shitty and stressful and harder in a lot of ways but like there's a level of certainty in that mm-hmm. that it's... sucks to acknowledge but he does here and it does kind of you know it, it, i don't I'm, I'm left feeling kind of sad for him in that point because like he has felt all this way about you know the judgment that johnny is probably uh barking in his direction while he's in our head but he does recognize that like he did game the system in a way like he did find a way to make sure that he was heard and that he was seen and that his music reached more people and Mm -hmm. that's just the reality of the situation it's that like the avenues of delivery right like you know the the corporations don't just give him security or whatever it's it's that the way that people consume media like i was talking before have have been established to be very controlled by the the places on high and and maybe that is an aspect of cyberpunk i would like to see more fleshed out is is you know we see the samurai vendor and all that and and how like to get honest to god samurai recordings you kind of have to buy them at a street vendor from somebody who sells that specific good uh in one location in night city versus like just walking into whatever the night city equivalent of a tower records is or whatever but it's the idea of like how is this media delivered and who controls that and we could get into long discussions about you know things that we have today like spotify and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that that uh you know if you're not on spotify you know it's really hard to get discovered but also if you're on spotify you're not getting a lot of pay for your tracks Mm -hmm. being played so um i do think that's an area that's really interesting and and I almost kind of wish there was like just a, a, a little bit more like, like just a, a smidge more uh, involved here. And, uh, but that's, that's neither here. Maybe we'll touch on that in a second uh, going into the final mission, but uh, we get kind of our view out overnight city, you know, like we said before in all these companion missions that you kind of always have this moment where you pause and kind of gaze out overnight city. Right. I think it is really interesting that carries, takes place not just way up high in night city like one of the tallest towers you can get to but it's also in the middle like it's kind of in in the third of four quests that happens and i think that's really interesting because it means that uh you know judy's happens at the very end of her quest line when you're when you're out you know scuba diving at the lake or whatever and pan am's is 
Oh, God. Pan Am's actually happens in the third of four, too, doesn't it? Because Pan Am's yeah. is when you're at the campfire. Uh, but that also feels like it's part of the Alta Caldos in general as well. Uh, and so I'll forgive it a little bit for that, even though uh, there is a kind of separate Pan Am thing going on. But uh, Rivers takes place like right at the end of his quest yep. line as well when you're sitting on the water tower. And and obviously the places in which all these characters, as we talked about, is important. Like when these things happen, but also where these things happen and how they talk about Night City when they're there. And for Carrie, it's about being on top. It's about being on top of the world. But he is incredibly down. <laughs> you know, mm. he's way up high and way down low. And he is just trying to kind of figure out what next steps are and like what any of this means because uh as he's leaning there and he's he's talking about the conversation we had at caliente that he says he just hasn't been able to get out of his mind um his whole thing was kind of just being a front and the problem he's been having so far is that he's someone in somebody else's shadow again uh he lived in johnny's during the samurai's samurai days and and now he just kind of feels like maybe he's there again. Like like there's just he is fading into obscurity. He is fading out. He can feel himself fading out. I think. Um. And and as much as the us crack stuff is cool, and he obviously like is getting something from being recognized as this musical star and all that. It's also like a recognition that there is a generational change happening. You know, yeah. like there is that he is going to phase out at some point. And he, he mentions that he's like, you know, he wakes up every day feeling like he could fade into the background of the city and that terrifies him. Uh, and we can kind of encourage him. We can be like, Hey, you know, it's time you stop being afraid. And we have multiple different options here. We have the romance option, uh, which I did not try taking, but you can go for, if you're if you're female yeah. v which i think is interesting they like give you the option and then carrie's just like oh, i don't like you like that um but then obviously ken you you go in deep and you stick the land in because mm-hmm. like he says um you know when you're talking about it, he doesn't need to be afraid he has like two different dialogues depending on which one you're playing and with female v he just says, like you think it's that simple and then with male v he says you think you can drive these shadows away and there are two options with, with the romance route that you say you can say yes and be like that kind of like leans into some idea that uh b will save carrie from himself which i love an i can fix him story i'm, I'm, I'm a big fan mm-hmm, of that mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. i think i can do that without like trying to kind of almost i don't know like that that feels like a comment on carrie's personhood to me in a way because mm-hmm, i think you can mm-hmm. be like i can fix him but also like his his agency as it were right to lift him up because like i i end up saying shadows will fade before you and then when we start to kiss, like, he, he, like as we get, like, you know, face-to-face, he's like, is he, you know, referring to Johnny? And then we kiss, and then I ask if it matters, and he says, no, not anymore. Let's finish this scene before we unpack. Well, I mean, you, you can take it from here, because, I mean, the female V stuff, I think, is interesting. It is very much, like, you can you can do this. Like, you can live outside those mm-hmm. shadows. You just have to be ready to, like, not fear them anymore. Right. You have to be ready to move on and stop being so afraid of you know, shadows like Johnny Silverhand and all that basically be ready to kind of exist on your own terms and separate from the, the terms mm-hmm. that you've been setting out for yourself for so long. And I, I like that a lot. It's good. But then you kind of have this long, lonely walk back down right. <laughs> and out. Uh, whereas yours feels like it's a little bit more uh, fleshed out. 
Yeah, and so he, you know, like Anthony says, it doesn't matter if Johnny's here anymore. And the whole time that this conversation's happening, like, Johnny's, like, standing, like, basically right behind Carrie. And it was another, and I, I mentioned this in here, like, I have a weird thing in this game where I feel myself, I think it's because it's in a first-person perspective, that I, like, find myself just, like, doing things that I think I would have naturally done in real life. Because, like, I shifted the camera just enough where Johnny wasn't in, in my line of view. And a lot of the conversation that I've been having, like, I've been trying to, like, decenter Johnny as much as I can. And be like Carrie does not need to worry about a dead man anymore and mm-hmm. so you know then he after we kiss he, he talks about like he just kind of like wishes that we could just stay here looking at, down at the city for the rest for like keep this moment frozen time but then we'll but time will pass and we'll have to go back and it feels like call it calls back to the, that scene with the sex worker in clouds where they like you, you can tell like I don't want to go back down there I don't want to like go out there and go back into the city that feels like it's trying to fucking kill me all the time but eventually like, we do have to but you find these kind of like pockets of safety within the city and kind of like, as we're about to head out, Johnny does like leave on this like last note. It says Carrie never did get it. The only thing worse than unfulfilled dreams are dreams that come true because like you have to deal with the reality of this thing that you have been, you know, projecting uh, out in a certain way and like viewing in this very idealized way. And then so like, you know, I, I say, let's go back down to where all the chaos is. And he says, he's going to wait here a little bit longer, but to drink the city with him in it. So, I have a a novel of notes here on like mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the good the the good the bad and the weird of this. Um, the the good thing for sure starters we have not given Gavin Drea the voice actor for male V, uh, a, you know has his moment in this season which we had for Chairman Lee and and Judy stuff where I feel like I feel like both both I think both uh, performances are very good but I think they both have their strengths and I think I think Chairman Lee really works when you're playing the more like sarcastic cutting like the corpo version of the character where i think male v actually i, th- I think works a lot better in some of the more like quieter like intimate time like intimate scenes like i think there's like a warmth to his delivery that i really like there's a lot of heart in it and i know that he got a lot of shit for his accent because like he has kind of like a hodgepodge of american accents like sometimes he sounds like he comes from new york sometimes he sounds like he comes from la and he also is like an Irish actor, so like props to him for like me never realizing that after playing this game for dozens of hours. And I, I really liked his delivery here, cause like when it came to like you know, really honing in on that conversation and not being in the noise of Night City and like just really really feeling this connection between two people, he really nailed it. And I want to give him his shout out here. Uh, next one I have is that I, I really like Carrie's confession here because it's the most like honest and not like it doesn't masquerade his rage, cause like everything that we've seen it up to him up to this point has been like Johnny Jr. Like he's preachy, he's angry. He is doing actual world violence to express his emotions and being very shitty to a group of women who didn't actually do anything wrong. Um, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it, it plays into like, I can fix him. Like, you know, he's got, he's got these, these anger issues that he has. He only, this is the only way he knows, he knows how to express things in a way that is not, you know, with music because right now he's feeling like his music is being drowned out and, that's all that all works for me uh and it, it plays into the stuff that like is very much alluded to at the end of the johnny quest where like he is dealing with this feeling of like who he was before and having this like very like tangible uh reminder of who he was and what he's become and i, I just like that he'd finally just let that facade go because I, I think that's when all these like really edgy really shitty mean people in this game like like when their walls come down and they're just you see that they are as broken and damaged as the rest of us love that shit that's like a mm-hmm. shit mm-hmm. um also i have come around and you know we 
talked about this in passing. Like I have come around on the mix of emotions that Carrie feels about Johnny in the midst of this romance. Cause I think that is, again, like it is one of the, like the only real, like, I think, I think it's one of the best reckonings with V and Johnny's coexistence in that, like Johnny did bring these two people together, but at a certain point, they do have to contend with each other. Cause when this is all over, hypothetically, that these two people and this connection that they have created is going to be what's left because Johnny's going away. Like the, the plan is for Johnny to disappear by the end of this. And mm-hmm. I think like, you know, as much as I would love for Carrie to fall head over heels for me, like without any sort of friction on that, he is the only character that really knows me uh, in tandem with Johnny and has to deal with the realities of that. And it does, you know, I think it has been weaponized in a way that is shitty on CD Projekt Red and also like Talisorian's part that we'll get to in a second. But I think that sort of entanglement of feelings is just like a really like it's, it's a fascinating relationship to like unpack and just like watch unfold because I mean, I think to some degree, you know, all, we've, we've talked about this in various seasons that like video game romance just kind of feels like you press the button and people like you. And, you know, that is a very reductive way of explaining how video game romances work because that it feels like it uh, kind of diminishes the story that's happening around those dialogue options that that uh, portray an intention from the player. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. but here, like, you just got this, like, really complicated, messy story between these two, these two men that are, like, having to sort through the feelings of this third party that has brought them together. And I just think that's kind of great. I think it's one of the most complicated uh, sort of relationships in this game. In a way that I think, and you know, for I, I, we can skip to one, one of the things that I have that is bad. I think, you know, in a vacuum, that's like a really like compelling story to me. The part where it gets shitty is that Carrie is a bisexual character, and female B can't get into this relationship. And the way that I have the statement pulled up, if you like it, I pulled it. Yeah, like if, if you got if you got um, the the quote. Yeah, so this is a tweet from our Talzorian Games where they had responded to people asking questions. This is back in uh, December of 2020. <laughs> That's how long mm-hmm. ago this was. Uh, where people were kind of asking about why, if Carrie is a canonically bisexual character, uh, both in the game Cyberpunk 2077 and in the broader tabletop, uh, tabletop world of Cyberpunk, uh, why female V cannot romance Carrie? And this is a quote from the checkmark verified our Talzorian games account. Honestly, we still consider Carrie to be bisexual with male presenting V versus female presenting V. We suspect Carrie's attraction is deeply rooted into unresolved issues involving Johnny male presenting V fits that particular mold better to his subconscious. Um, so think about that sucks. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. I I I I will let, I'll let you steal the podium. I'm just going to say like up front for my own take on it. Uh, it's uh, that kind of sucks. Being like, yeah, he he only likes dude V because dude V reminds him more of Johnny, and and he just secretly wants to like have sex with Johnny. I guess right. yeah. <laughs> like that's sure. a really weird way to frame all of this. <laughs> like i think you know in a vacuum the sort of idea that like i like i said like that carrie is like dealing with lingering feelings about johnny and 
having this person who has been this avatar for him to speak to him again. Like, that works. I think it all works. Like, it works really well. But when you put it in this thing where it's like, okay, he doesn't, he does not feel the same attraction to female V, despite, you know, emotionally, those things should still line up. But, like, it, it one, it, it's weird because it it makes it feel like Harry picked a side, and that's a, that's a shitty thing that pe- like bisexual people get faced mm-hmm. with in the real world. Mm-hmm. It makes it feel like V's relationship is entirely predicated on some sort of feeling that he has for some guy that's dead for fifty years, and like, so uh, it, mm. there's also it, the idea it, that like, you know, it, if if the romance idea is largely predicated on this idea of Carrie has unresolved feelings for for Johnny and maybe some of those feelings are sexual maybe there there is a level of like he wants to resolve that through sexual means the idea that suddenly like oh the the hardware is slightly different so all of a sudden the attraction is no longer there isn't just weird from like a um by bisexual standpoint which it absolutely is and and like you said Ken like the idea of being like oh just picking sides and stuff like that is it is and has always been bullshit but also like in the world of cyberpunk where we have spent so much of this game talking about the idea of transhumanism and like you know person inside a body not necessarily encompassing all that is and also the idea that attraction is is contingent on form is such a weird right just overly reductive view of a relationship between two people that I'm just like, what? Like you can have like Carrie can have sexual attraction to somebody and, and it doesn't have to just be like, Oh, well the, the box was not ticked. So never mind, It's all shut down now. (laughs) And so that's that's the weirdest thing. It's like, I, I feel like this is, this is all bullshit meant to explain away the fact that they only fucking coded this romance for one person. Like, that they had, you know, the Punnett Square, as we talked about, that they had... Yeah, I, I, I cannot imagine any other answer for the way that this game's romances are set up other than they had a Punnett Square somewhere. Yeah, and so... It, it's frustrating on all, all those fronts, but also, like, if the game even remotely reckoned with this hypothetical of Carrie only being attracted to Male V because of Johnny, the game never says that. Like, that sounds like the, the, the excuse you wrote in a tweet because somebody asked. And and so the weird thing about all of this, once you get into Carrie's, uh, like, quest lines, it feels the loneliest of all of them because, like, mm. Carrie doesn't really have anyone. Like, who is... Uh, is the third party of Carrie's stuff Johnny? Maybe. I think that, that might be who it is. And in all honesty, like, Johnny doesn't do a lot of reckoning with what Carrie's going through like on, on like on a one-on-one basis because he does not speak to Carrie again in the game and like when he said goodbye in his quest line that was the last time that Johnny and Carrie speak and mm. but you're, like you're still dealing with like Johnny's commentary the entire the entire thing so you do get some level of um you know him him being the other person where like, Judy had a friend of clouds River had his family Pan Am had uh the avocados and so I think, you know, there are more avenues to ex- to expand upon this hypothetical that they have proposed on Twitter that I don't think ever happened. 
um, which is why I kind of think it's just bullshit, and I just don't, I don't acknowledge it. I don't think it actually has any basis in what the game that they made. But it does, like, it does bring back to something that is, is notable to me, is that Johnny is, like, the third party of this, and he is uncharacteristically quiet in this relationship. Uh-huh. In a way that feels actually, like, pretty significant by the end. And by the time that I get to the end of this game, I've made the choices that I've made and have written the story that I've written. I think Johnny's relative restraint here about Carrie and B's relationship romantically speaks more than anything that mm. Johnny would ever say. Um, mm. And, you know, we'll, we'll get to that as we keep, we keep going. But there is, like, one questionable thing about this that is probably worth bringing up is the fact that Carrie Urodine is 89 years old and B is 28. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Damn, get, Ken, didn't know you were a gold digger. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I'm dating a senior goddamn citizen. Um, <laughs> but like, the, one thing is like, and we've talked about this, you know, in uh, the Final Fantasy X season is like a lot of video games and just like a lot of media broadly never like there are a lot of times when the age does not fit the character that they've written. like Carrie looks and acts and things yes. like somebody that yeah. is like in his 40s or 50s. Um, so like mm-hmm. you know, there there's even, you know, number aside, there's, like, a generational difference between V and Carrie. And we haven't really talked about it much. Like, Carrie has, like, some real fucking, like, old man storyteller syndrome going on. Where it's like, oh, uh-huh. back in my day, we did this. And, uh-huh. like, you know, going on, like, these long story- stories that he tells V that are actually kind of adorable, I guess. But it's just, like, a thing that, like, other than Sabora or Saka, like, none of the characters that are, like, 100 plus years old or, like, nearing, you know... Right. A, a century in age are ever really written or treated as such. So, like, the age gap is present, but it doesn't really feel like... like I'll say, like, the relationship doesn't feel predatory at all. Like, V is old enough to have, you know, like, a, a sense of himself that is not, does not feel like he's being preyed upon by some old man. Because I, I think... Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, if we're going by how they're actually written, a, a a nearly 30 year old guy dating a 40 or so year old is, is not that uncommon, especially like in, and frankly in like queer male spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I do think like had, if, if V had been younger, it would have been an issue. I think at this point, everyone knows what they're getting into. And like Carrie even has like, isn't like Carrie's not the one that even really pursues V in the, the way that the romance plays out. Like mm-hmm. Carrie like clearly has this attraction that he's working through and V is the instigator. And, so I, I think, like, you know, like on paper, a lot of it sounds weird. I think in practice, in terms of the actual relationship they've written, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I I do think it's interesting that they don't really touch on that often because also Carrie is, like, does not look his age, like, like build-wise. Like, he does there, – there's definitely, like, things he does, like you said, that personality-wise is older, but he he looks fit. He looks active. He looks everything. And that would have been kind of cool to touch on. We can get like I think some uh, stuff about his his throat specifically, right. um, but I mean, you didn't see him. You didn't see him naked. Like he's got like like he's got stuff on his. Like he looks like he has been preserved mechanically, mm. like through mm. implants. Like he's got his throat. He's got stuff in his chest and his abdomen. Um, so like mm. you know when he's not naked, like he looks very fit. But like when you see him take stuff off, like he clearly like some work has been done. Like he has, you know, mm. taken the, the, okay. the okay. care to preserve himself in some way. That's interesting. Which, you know, like the game doesn't necessarily talk about, but it is a visual storytelling through character design that I think is there. Um, 
as we head into this last quest, I wanted to say that while we were doing this, I went to go pick up the Edge Runner's gun. Uh, Rebecca's mm-hmm. shotgun can be picked up at the Arasaka uh, Gardens, where, well, something happened to Rebecca. <laughs> they, they cleaned up some of the mess, but not all of it. Apparently. Yeah, they left the gun behind. It's right behind like three meditating monks. It's it's kind of mm-hmm. weird, actually. Um, but you can go find that over there. It's actually not as good as the Mox shotgun, which I finally have now. Mm-hmm. Um, Judy finally gave that to me, but I, I wanted to bring that up because while I was doing that, number one, I was getting a bunch of really fun texts from Judy that were about like, Oh, you know, my, my grandma knows about you. You're going to be getting like some, uh, interrogation texts mm-hmm. pretty soon and stuff like that. And there's a fun bit where she says that, uh, she like, drunk texts you in the middle of like a girl's night out and then uh like apologizes the next day is like oh my god i'm so sorry about i left you something at your apartment you go back and there's like a heart uh like made out using a bunch of like takeout containers and stuff which is really cute Mm. um but also during this quest at this point i got a text from pan am and pan am's text was like Hey, I know I'm not like the the biggest up, you know, I'm not up with it, you know, my taste in music and all that, but I was hearing this song on the radio and it's this like cover of Carrie Uridine's song and I really like it. It's really really good. I just, you know, I just want to let you know that. And you can respond back being like, "Hey, yeah, so I'm kind of the reason that cover happened." <laughs> and uh just want to let you know and Pan Am starts going off like, oh my God, I can't believe that. You know, Carrie's so different. His musical styling is so is so different, but but I really love the interpretation. You can be like, you're kind of fanning out here. You're mm-hmm. like, you know, you are giving away how into the, all of this you are. And you can even mention that like, oh, maybe y'all can beat someday. And, and Pan Am's like, oh my God, that'd be so cool and stuff. And it just once again reminded me how much I do like these individual characters and maybe how much more I really would have liked this game if any of them ever had the chance to actually meet, like right. to be in the same room at the same time. And, and how, how none of that ever really happens right. in this game. You do get moments of kind of team up stuff, but it's largely within those like segmented walls. And it feels like right. all the companions are just distinct, like, trunks like like big branches but none of them connect back to the same tree and the only tree they really connect back to is that like v meets them all but they don't intersect with each other at all yeah and the text messages are doing like a little bit to to help with that and some of that i don't know how much of that specific one was in the game originally versus stuff that they added later because i know that with i believe patch 1.5 they added a lot of extra Mm. story content that is told through those those texts and stuff yeah I, i believe that one was added in the patch um but it, it's really really good and you know it, on, on some level i guess we should say is as we are recording this they just announced that cyberpunk is getting a sequel uh they're working on project orion which is the sequel to cyberpunk 2077 which they say will realize the full power and potential of cyberpunk and on one hand i am like well they know where the pitfalls are mm. <laughs> they know some of that but I, I don't know maybe it's with all the cyberpunk renaissance talk we've had recently that i really want them to look at stuff like that and how well yeah. that works and how good that clicks and like oh god i would love 
a party in this world, right. a feeling of a group that is, you know, together. We, we've even talked about how like Mass Effect 2, one of my favorite games of all time, struggles with that at right. times to really make it feel like you have a full crew. And then Mass Effect 3, especially Citadel, really brings it all mm. together. And Dragon Age Inquisition really makes you feel like right. you have a party that hangs out. Even Dragon Age 2 did that pretty well. And yep. actually all the Dragon Age games do that well now I think about it. But um, it's, it is something that I badly want in this world because I yep. do think that it's not like that would suddenly U-turn my feelings on this game. But now that it's being teased in front of me, I'm just like, oh man, can you imagine? Can you imagine having right. a mission that is just go hang out with Judy and Pan Am for a night like like right. go driving right. out into the badlands and hang out and stuff like that like take pan am to a carry concert yeah oh my god that'd be such a good mission that'd be so good like you get yeah. you get like special vip passes like after you finish carrie's quest you get like vip passes to an us cracks and carrie concert mm-hmm. and you can invite people and you can invite pan am and and you know she shows up and She's like got a jacket on. She's like really shy, and you're like, "Why? What's up?" And she takes the jacket off, and it's just this giant Carrie Uridine shirt. <laughs> like she is custom made uh, a Carrie shirt for the concert and all that, and and just completely fangirls out there. That would have been so good. And I think given given this game a little bit more of that, like not just human core, but feeling of like, yes, Night City sucks and it eats people alive and is a giant meat grinder, but people still try and make a living here and find their joy here and get by here. And moments like that give you the, oh, this is why they do it. This is why they stick around. This is why people still keep trying to make a living in Night City because you have nights like these that can balance out all the crappy nights of other times. And and this feeling of found family that I, I think runs very, you know, adjacent to a lot of the emotions in cyberpunk 2077 so yeah and, and i don't know <sighs> i know we talked about this on, on blood god but i don't know if we brought it up here like they've announced you know the new dlc for the or expansion whatever, liberty, whatever yeah. semantics they're getting to the other phantom liberty and that really just i mean it, it, it may be a whole lot more that we don't know about yet just because like they've only had one trailer but that the con- the concept of that looks very omega when i want to set it out and hmm. So I, I'm curious to see how much like those four characters being Judy, Panam, River, and Carrie, like how much they come into that if they do at all. Because like, the the story seems kind of distanced from them, but I don't think that like you know you, like in spite of all the changes that they've had to make to their like their pipeline for this game, I don't think that that sort of pillar of like what people did enjoy about this game has ever been like in question. I feel like even when the game first came out, like you know there was a lot of attention brought into we like these characters. But like, there's not the connective tissue that brings them together, even though like they have the this core that could hypothetically do mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So I hope that that uh, expansion ends up being because I mean, the Witcher 3's expansions have been very, very, very well received over the years, and so I'm hoping that they can at least capture some of that in whatever Phantom Living ends up being. Yeah, part of me, the one thing that gives me like you know a sprinkle hope amid all this is that obviously if if this was brought in post patch if this was brought in afterwards Mm -hmm. this was clearly something that 
is on the minds of the writers right. at CD Projekt Red that, you know, tying these characters together in interesting ways. And like, I had the moment where during all of this, as I was trying to get this quest to pop, actually, I went back to Judy's place and Judy specifically talked about, oh, I heard there was a lot of mess over in Japantown. And, mm. and you know, and you can be like, yeah, that was me. And and she's like, I figured it was you the second I heard it. <laughs> um, just be safe out there, okay? And I I like those little moments. And it makes me think that CD Projekt is, like, aware of mm. how it did not fulfill those things in the original game. And maybe they're trying to lay some track for either adding more of that in Phantom Liberty or something that they are considering moving forward into the next Cyberpunk, whatever that may be. Cyberpunk 2078. <laughs> um, anyways, we're going to go for some boat drinks now. Uh, we got to drop everything and meet him at the Night City Marina on a yacht called the Seamurai, baby. <laughs> Take to the Seamurai. Um, because we show up and, you know, we do pirate voice and all that. And he's sitting on a couch. He's got this fancy guitar with him. And he's like, we're, we're setting off and, and we're, we're celebrating new beginnings and life loops. And, and, you know, we can kind of question him about what all that means. He's like, we're not, we're not ruining the surprise. You know, I'm trying to do a thing here. Just respect that I'm trying to do a thing here. <laughs> and he, uh, again, one cool thing that we get to see Carrie do a lot is his eyes light up and he like, you know, he sends the music mm. video to us through his cybernetics and he activates the yacht with his cybernetics here and like, Hey, cool. Using technology in a futuristic cyberpunk world. What a concept. Uh, we set off, we, we chart a course, we're going to cruise around the city and he's playing a lick on his guitar uh, which he says is a legendary guitar. It's it's one one of five in the series. Uh, he doesn't know where the other three are, but the only other one he knows of is owned by some Militech suit. And, and his, apparently, the strings have the blood of a legendary jazz musician on them, which is very much like a thing that somebody probably told Carrie, and he was like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and, like, does it actually have somebody's blood on it? Who's to say? <laughs> but... Um, he starts playing a song, which is actually really, really good, by the way. I really like that mm -hmm. song he plays. Yep. It's a good lick. It's a good riff. I, uh, I may have had it on repeat for like on loop for hours and hours and hours sometimes. Uh, it's it's, it's really just good. a good little riff. It's a good little riff. Yeah. Um, Johnny is in the background just kind of lounging and, and enjoying the tunes. I, I like Johnny just chilling out. Like mm. I, I like that he just kind of hangs out in the bag. It's just like, hell yeah. Let's just have a good time. Let's go for a cruise. Um, we start talking to Carrie and he starts telling us about life's loops. So it's like cycles. And this is from his guru that he goes to see, uh, every so often. And the last time he was there, they talked about how a, a loop was coming to a close and, uh, he needed to be ready for that. And we can kind of bring up the, you know, is this about Johnny? It's about all the stuff we've been talking about. He says it's a little bit, it's a little bit, but, uh, you know, no matter how hard Carrie tries, he can't really forget Johnny, right? Mm -hmm. Said he'd rip him out of the head, out of his head if he could, but he can't. And you know, who can relate to that better than V? <laughs> um, so we bring up the loops idea, and he's like, you know, the first 
song he ever felt that really like meant something to him he wrote while he was working on a cruise ship he talked about how he worked all these different part-time jobs uh you know serving waiting tables doing all this stuff on the ship and then he'd go and and compose until his fingers bled and that was how he wrote bleed the beat which a lot of people thought was about you know sticking it to corpos and all, all that but was really specifically about that time on that boat um and and bleeding in service of the rich and people just kind of hear what they want to hear uh so we ask you know why do you want us here what's up like you know he's like you got me through that us cracks fiasco you help me out you you, you get me oh god what does he say you shake things up he was stuck in the mud he was scared of his own shadow and now he's thinking about a new song a new album uh he's had an epiphany uh and so we're like oh so you're changed huh he says yeah no more mayhem no more schemes done with that well starting tomorrow which is oh that's a very good line (laughs) because it perfectly sets up you know as we either chill and ride on the cruise or or we skip ahead you know whatever you want to do um it's a very nice little picturesque scene Mm -hmm. and then carrie stops and bashes the shit out of the guitar and he's like you gonna help me or you just gonna stand there and i gotta tell you i was i was on board from minute one i was like hell yeah (laughs) let's trash this fucking yacht and we're like you're not gonna regret trashing your your yacht later and he's like my yacht you think i'd actually name my own boat sea mirai <laughs> and it's kovacek's boat we are trashing kovacek's boat as payback for all of the crap with us crack stuff and ken the scene owns the scene's mm-hmm. so good i i really enjoy it it's it's a good time it's a fun thing even johnny's like oh hell yeah <laughs> like, let's break some stuff v get in there um i love it i i i'm gonna i'm gonna talk a little bit about my version of it before we get into yours uh we have we have stuff that we can smack around and and toss around and stuff and we get to a pole we're trying to break down a a flagpole and and he's like get over here i need some help and as you bust it down you have a moment where you kind of like bump into each other close and there's like a moment of eye to eye and Carrie's just like, nah, Navi, and like, like not, not here. I don't like you like that. And then just runs off to go start torching more stuff. And to me personally, I was like, boy, that was super jarring. That was super weird. All of a sudden, as somebody who has not made any romantic advances on Carrie, that suddenly he's like, oh, oh, back off, V. I'm mm. like, dude, I'm just here to fuck up a boat with you. Calm down. <laughs> but also, yeah. like, that was also maybe the most transparent the game has been so far in terms of, like, and here is where we will insert the romance scene mm. if you have ticked the correct box on the square. <laughs> and so take it away, Punnett Square winner, <laughs> Ken Shepard. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would say at least that did not feel as weirdly, like, dismissive and invasive as the river stuff did, because, like... Oh, no, no. no. Like, Harry's being like, nah, you know what, I'm good. No, thanks. Um, is way better than the, the weird shit of, like, oh, let's have a sidebar here where we talk about all the weird pickup lines we've had over the years. Mm, okay. But, um, no, so if you're, if you are, if you are 
the the queer men in the room and have <laughs> done the kissing at the on, the on the balcony and like really just helped him find himself. Uh, you start making out. He turns on the radio there, and then they just have rough sex on the couch. And then the, he pulls out the lighter and throws it onto the to the couch, and then it's all burning and it's all on fire. And then they they're going at it, and it's fucking rules. I'm not like uh-huh. I, I gotta say uh-huh. like it's. So, like, the problem with the Pan Am scene was not that it wasn't, like, emotional and, like, intimate. It was that, like, just tonally, it just felt, like, very weirdly shoved into another story. Where here, like, everything about Carrie's relationship with Vita has been about chaos, destruction, rock and roll. And so, like, I just loved this scene. It like, you know, all the awkwardness of, like, Cyberpunk's broad, like, VR porn first-person perspective sex scenes aside. Mm-hmm. I just think, mm-hmm. like, tonally, it fucking rules. Cause, like, okay. They go at it, and, like, the way that it ends is, like, you know, the, the place is going up in flames, and then so they just both jump naked off the side of the yacht into the, the sea, and it's just, like, it's it's awesome. Like, I love it. It's totally, it's very in line with that relationship, and it just feels like the natural escalation of the scene that is happening instead of the Pan Am stuff, which was, okay, we're in the middle of testing out this tank, want to do it. So I just, I really like it a lot, and, the, like, there's, like, this other thing about it that is actually... I really like is that you see both men being versatile in the sex because like I think AAA mm. games even when they have gay sex in them have this weird thing about letting the male protagonist take a dick up the ass and mm. like even Mass Effect 3 had this it, it was very funny looking back on it now is that like they did like they model swapped the Caden sex scene to make Shepard be in what was to make male Shepard in Caden's position in what Caden was in the heterosexual version of that relationship mm. oh, and yeah, they're okay. like oh yeah. so now it's gonna be like oh shepherd is not the bottom but like not take into account how positions and dynamics change when it's two men as opposed to a man and a woman in sex uh-huh. basically made basically explicitly made shepherd the bottom of that scene which is it's funny to look back on of like you know clearly straight people in the room not taking stuff into account so i just kind of like liked that it was very clear that both men were taking part in both like in, in the different dynamics of sex between two men. Um, right, right. Which is... I, I think games have gotten a lot better about that as time has gone on, but that is a, just like an overarching issue that AAA games have, even when they have gay sex. They do not want the male protagonist to be the, the submissive one, the the person that is seen being, quote-unquote, less of a man or some stupid shit. You know what? Just, like, video games let gay men suck and take dick. Just, just let them do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It, it's really cool and and i i dig this this romance scene a lot too because like you said i think there is a really natural escalation to it like it, it just makes sense and and it's fun and it's part of that emotional journey as well like i do i think there's a world in which the the style that they were going for with pan am's scene works yes absolutely do i think it should have probably taken place in the back like pan am's truck instead of in a futuristic cyber tank mm-hmm. where they're trying to do some weird body tingly stuff while while testing out a, a cyber tank for war uh is kind of weird like you like yeah that's largely like my problems with the pan am scene come down to them like just positioning it in a really awkward place because it right. feels like they maybe just couldn't find anywhere else to naturally put it even though i don't know there's probably some better places he could have put that or maybe like right at the end of the quest line. I don't know. I don't want to just write like imagine, the, the fucking, I mean, yeah, well, sure. Scene, but, but like, imagine like being in Pan Am, like sneaking off to the basilisk to try it out later. Like not 
in the midst of like the tutorials of how to use this machine of warfare you know something like that yeah and and i i don't know and it, again i just don't think like the basilisk specifically like was i i feel like somebody was sitting there and they were like oh so they like mind drift what if they like fucked while they were mind drifting mm. and oh yeah write that down that'll be the pan am sex scene whereas like everything else feels very much like it takes place at a natural point within the pro- progression of that character's romance and story mm. and stuff like it hits at an emotional high point whereas pan ams is like for for a character that is also very like i think more reserved than she initially mm. seems it is all of a sudden like oh let's have a weird you know fling in the tank while we're test running it for the all the caldos like there's just a lot of ways in which I felt that was totally off, but to bring it back to Carrie, like Carrie's feels so on the money that honestly, Mm -hmm. like tonal, like, like tonally it is better. I think than than even like Judy's is that like this absolutely fits Carrie to a T. I love the idea of jumping off the boat at the end and, and like just the wacky wild sex in the middle of a fire. Like, fuck yeah. Like that is, Mm -hmm. that is some rock star shit. That is Rockstar shit in a real good way, and I love the screenshot you have in the the notes here of, of y'all two sitting there shirtless on the, the shore watching a burning boat sink into the bay. Like, that is mm-hmm. just that is chef's kiss. That is mm-hmm. excellent. And, yeah, like, that that there you go. That's honestly, like, that speaks to some of the better romance writing that I've seen from CD Projekt in mm-hmm. The Witcher. Like some of the ones in Wild Hunt specifically, I think do a great job of having those kinds of like, we're going to have a natural like ramp up to them and they're going to be fun and they're going to be a little bit different and they're going to be like memorable and in fun and neat ways and they're going to reflect life a little bit and the character's growth and all that. And God, hmm. We're not just gonna have them fuck in a tank because it's funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, it just comes out goofy. Um, anyways, as we sit down next to Carrie on the beach, whether we, you know, had some wild crazy sex and then burned the boat down, or just burned the boat down and jumped off the boat, <laughs> um, we we get the fun bit of. Carrie second guessing whether he should have brought more explosives or not before the, the boat really goes up in flames, which is a good bit. And, uh, you know, we're kind of like, okay, like, what have you done now? You know, what are, what are you ready to do? Uh, and he's just kind of like, all right, that's, you know, I'm ready to, to just enjoy the moment right now. And that's for, for my specific Carrie thing. That was kind of where it all ends. He's like, okay, you want to ride back? And we're like, yeah, sure. It seems like you get a little bit more here as a romancer. Yeah, because like, I mean, he he makes the joke about how like us looking at a fire is like romantic as fuck. And mm-hmm. but this he's done doing things like this like in the night city way. And um, he says like you and me deserve a round two. And I I hug him and say like pencil man, but like no counting rounds. This is this is something we're gonna keep track of. We're just here to be here together mm-hmm. in this moment and moving forward. Apparently, you can like break up with him yeah at this so, point too. I mean, we talked about this we talked about this with the judy stuff as well like how you know you can have the sex scene and like have the progression of the relationship and 
be like, oh, this was a one-time thing, and then it ends in like a really shitty way. Like for Judy, like she storms off and is like, fuck you. You get a text that she blocked you, and then for Carrie, apparently he like relapses and kind of just ends up kind of you know regressing into a lot of stuff, and that's just like tragic as all fuck. So yeah, all the yeah. all the bra- all the breakups in this game just seem to be like that. So let's not acknowledge that horrible awful. That's for people that it's like weird. you know go seeing all the options of shit. We don't, we don't, we don't support that here. That's not real in Normandy FM. Uh, so, well, you hey know, they, they are when, when the game accounts for them. Well, shout outs to iron bowl <laughs> and my, my ride of the bowl in the middle of dragon age inquisition where we're just like, yeah, we're going to fuck around and find out. And you know what? I had a good time later bowl. I'm gonna go romance Josie now. Like mm. God, once again, inquisition, godlike game. I didn't, mm, we don't need to revisit that game because we did a whole fucking season on it, but that is the game. I kind of wish we were having a larger dramatic or, or not dramatic, like critical reassessment of heading mm-hmm. into dread wolf versus just being like, Oh, well the two year old game isn't as buggy as it used to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, that, that is the end of the carry line. And, and I guess for my own like final thoughts, I ended up liking Carrie a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, I was kind of not keen on the rocker stuff at first. I do think that the rocker boy stuff as an actual class in the tabletop RPG is not super represented here, which is, I mean, a lot of the classes are not very represented in the world of cyberpunk 2077. That's another thing i'd like to see them maybe tackle in the future is the idea of having those those classes and having you know specifically like here's a rocker boy here's a media person you know like a news hound like like uh nancy who we can hear from actually i got a text message from her during this uh mission uh and i i would like to see more of that but also just the like like getting some insight into the broader world and the media and and getting some closure for carrie after all the fallout from the johnny stuff was was nice and and i i think the last mission like i think the the second and the last mission are are probably my two favorites Mm -hmm. i i love the even though it's super simple i thought the confronting us cracks backstage and you know getting carrie to have that real moment of self-realization felt really cool i like the way it resolved in the end and then obviously the the boat ride and the breaking the yacht up and all that like fantastic just absolutely fantastic quest loved it had a great time with it um it's kind of your final thoughts on carrie here ken yeah i think my on him specifically like not really accounting for v at at the moment like i think this game spends so much time talking about like being a legend in night city as the sort of like end goal but carrie is this sort of person that is emblematic of like you know getting that to that point is one thing but like that is a lifelong sort of maintenance that you have to do like maintaining that is you know its own battle and you know at a certain mm-hmm. point you're going to be like oh i you know i i was you know this really i was this vip in night city at one point but at some point we all you know succumb to the passage of time and also just like an, another sort of generation comes and takes over and I liked that there was that sort of like generational gap being like put, putting a bridge between these two people. Cause like, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I, I, I think about this a lot right now because like, this is a, a weird side tangent to go into, but like Paramore just released some of their new music and mm. thinking about how I feel like 
musicians of our generation are more open to the idea of experimentation and changing the changing times of music than the generations before us were. Because like, I, I listened, to, and we were talking about this last night in, in, a, in a Discord call with some of our friends about how, you know, what is some of the, the older music that we listen to now? And I was, you know, right, right. I look at some of the older bands that I listen to, and I feel like a lot of the reasons that I don't really pay much attention to them these days is I feel like they've gotten very stagnant in the way that they write music. I think, like, I, I love a lot of U2's older music, but I feel like a lot of their oh, more recent stuff yeah. is, like, you know, nothing worth writing home about. And it feels very much like of a generation of musicians that, Thinks that things were better back in the old days and are not experimenting with things. Where, like, like I said, Paramore, they just released their new song. It's like a very much a, a sort of a, an evolution of their sound and their, you know, understanding of generational divides as the thing that is kind of made up and it's kind of fake. And people need to be more open to experimenting and understanding other ways of doing things. And I feel like that is embodied in Carrie and that, like, him having that moment of like, okay, this music's not how things were in my day, but the world is not how it was in my day. And like, I need to be willing to change with that or make space for more people to be at the top of this city. Like I was, was. So I think that's just like a really fascinating, fascinating sort of exploration of the sort of overarching theme of what it means to be a legend in night city and how it can either be the thing that you, that you become and then just kind of like step away and disappear into, you know, whether it's in the blaze of glory, or just kind of generally just like stepping back or like how you adapt to that as time goes on mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how that changes like the meaning of what that is for you changes as time goes on as oh. for his relationship to v i like i spent a lot of time i i think back i i feel see a lot of um the the scene in clouds that we talked about like 10 episodes ago uh and the stuff that happens with carrie like there's a lot of parallels there for me in terms of my v mm -hmm. feeling like he has no one left to remember him because like jack and t-buck are gone like johnny's this fucking weird thing like we're not friends at this point and at that point judy and i were not close pan am, uh, pan am and i had not met but like so like all this has this been this feeling of like there's no one left to remember me and i don't feel like i have a sense of home here in night city and you know what what, what is going to come of the johnny situation uh, remains to be seen at this point but at the very least like if there is no saving me if there is no way for me to solve this problem at least the time that i spend left in night city is not going to be lonely at least i have somebody here that feels like home in a way that i have not felt in a very long time and in the end i can thank johnny for that that he did bring us together and that there is something here where not not only just like things that I'm aspiring to that I want to accomplish before I'm done, but like there is something to live for in Night City beyond mm -hmm. this ideal of being a legend and being remembered in the abstract. There's somebody here to remember me very specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think when, when paired together with the Johnny quests, the, the carry stuff really shines through as an interesting and, and different view than what you might normally expect. Because when we first meet Carrie, he is, mired in the past right he is mm. locked up in his house under robotic guard uh he's he's got all this trash just strewn everywhere uh he's got you know he's, he's watching old samurai videos on his mm. on his tv uh you lure him out by playing an old samurai song right and he just wants to get the band back together and by the time we leave him you know he, you can see he's clearly going through that. He's not just, you know, he's thinking back on 
his legacy in a lot of ways. And when we finally leave him here, you know, it's, we've, we've destroyed a boat. Yes. And there's like catharsis in that, but also like he is making new music. He is talking about how he has had this riff in his head for a long time. And he thinks he's finally ready to let it out. And, And as like creatives, as, as, you know, even musicians, like we can understand what that means to like finally take something that has been in your head for so long Mm. that you have almost kind of like idolized in a way and imagined the perfect version of that you just continually can't ever get to and being ready to release it and being ready to let other people hear it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. This, this boat drinks quest is fantastic. It's really, really Mm. good, but that's it for Carrie. And we are also now one episode closer to the end. We now have two episodes left. Just the Act 3 side quests and the finale coming up here on Norm DFM. But if you are listening, if you've been tuning in, thank you so much for doing all of that in the middle of all this. It's been great. It's It's been on a, you know, funnily enough, like oddly well-timed season of Normandy FM mm-hmm. once again. Uh did not expect to just be mired in the discourse as we are, but it's it's been a lot of fun doing it. And if you've been joining us, if you've been listening, if you joined on because of current events and all that, we we love having you here. And as always, we we are a retrospective podcast. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash normativm, where you can go back us and help us do the things we do. Uh, at the lowest level, you get into the backer discord where you can hang out and chat with other listeners of Normandy FM, talk about the games we are playing and maybe even the games that we will soon start playing because yes, Ken and I have begun preparing what the next season of Normandy FM will be. And I have a feeling it'll be a fun one for y'all to play along with, but, uh, at the next highest level, you get these episodes as soon as Ken is done editing them. And at the highest tier, you get your name shouted out on every episode as we record them. And this episode, that list is Mercedes, Cluis, Meredith, Shane Erickson, Darius Pippins, Genevieve Barba, Seth Pitts, Alex Stadnick, Joshua Jarvis, Andrea Sheeran, Christoph Weiss, and John Warren. Thank you all so much for contributing and helping us do what we do. Ken, next episode is the Act 3 side quest. It's going to be our last guest episode. We're going to have a bunch of guests on, much like we did with the Act 2 side quest episode. And then we've got the finale. Are you feeling ready to put a cap on all this? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, so, I mean, this is something that we did, like, I did did talk about earlier in some of it. Is that, like, because of the way that the game has structured, like, the romances, it does feel like it has been a minute since we have been in what cyberpunk 2077 is to me mm-hmm. like you know, we had all that stuff at the very beginning that like i i set a lot of table for my character and his relationship to night city and the world and all these themes and stuff and it's just now feeling like we're finally getting back to a lot of those things now mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. i am you know we got the, we got the side quest episode and that's gonna be all well and fine but i am very ready to talk about the endings of this game and how yeah i feel like all the things that i have had to kind of like gesture at throughout the season are gonna like finally start to come to a head there it'll be interesting it's certainly something that we've referenced too many times we've put many pins in in two episodes from now we'll be taking all those pins out and finally talking about it but 
Until then, for Ken, for myself, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time on Normandy FM. Thank <laughs> you.